Testing, testing. One, two, three, 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 three. You've been working hard for the money, hard for your stack. Working all day, stressing and busting your back. That's why I want to thank you for coming. So welcome back to Backlick Cinema, the podcast. I'm your host, Zoe. That's Z-O or Z-O. If you're outside of the U.S., taking a look back at the movies of yesteryear. It's the 111th episode. Thank you for downloading and streaming. We really appreciate it. We watched movies that I loved when I was growing up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I watched those movies with my son, Zach. I tell you what I thought about them, what he thought about them, and we just have a good time talking about movies. Now, if you like what you're about to hear, then tell your neighbors, tell your siblings, tell your parents, tell your cousins, tell your bus driver on the way to work that you listen to Backlit Cinema, the podcast. So, as promised, you know, I I was supposed to uh, put all of this stuff out on social media earlier, but I didn't. So now, I guess I should say that you have a surprise special guest. And this surprise guest, uh, we've been trying to get together for a long time. We finally got together. You know, that's been happening a lot lately with with the recent guests. It's like, I have a guest booked, and then we can't connect. And then, like, a few months later, we connect. So, so. Same, same with this guest. He's a fantastic guy. I was a guest on his show. So a little bit about him. This special guest is from a fantastic podcast that can be found on YouTube or wherever you're listening to this podcast. In this series, he interviews producers, actors, business tycoons, and the movers and the shakers across the country, across the world. Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, and non-barry front. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen and non-binary folks, may I introduce the man with the plan, the inquisitive podcast personality, right out of the DMV, from the podcast, Two Mics Up, may I introduce to you Dame DNYDC, or in other words, by any other name, Damon <laughs> Cunningham! Yeah. <laughs> Yo, I'm going to have to have you start... Coming over and doing my intros, man. That's the best intro I had in a long time, yo. So I appreciate it, man. Hey, what's up, everybody? Your man, Dame DNYDC. Uh, two mics up. It's an honor to finally be here with Zoe. Like you said, we've been trying to do this for a minute. So here we are today, man. We're going to be chopping it up. We're going to be talking about, you know, a great film. I'm excited to be here. Let's get it, Zoe. Yes, absolutely. Now, thank thank you for the compliment. Uh, that That's usually the best part of my podcast. <laughs> 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 the introduction of the guest, because uh, I'm going to ask you a few questions uh, in this interview segment. Now, you are a consummate interviewer. Me, not so much. My audience knows this. I always preference this. I'm going to ask these questions. They're going to be common, like lowbrow unintelligent questions <laughs> but i'm gonna throw this out there anyway i have okay. to have content for my podcast so this okay. is how i do this <laughs> okay. okay no so, problem so uh my first question is where do you find your guests like what, what's the criteria how do you decide to get guests on your show where, and where do you find them at well you know so i'll put it to you like this so when we first started out so look you know first of all thank the lord we're going into our fifth season and i do want to say you know you can find us now on tv we are actually on the mogul tv Global network, you know, you can get it on your Amazon and Roku devices, or you can watch it online at themoguls.tv. So I just want to throw that out there. Uh, but when we first started, um, you know, this was really my wife's idea. And what we used to do is, uh, I like to I like to think of myself as the uncle in the backyard that everybody has, right? You have that one uncle that's sitting in the backyard at the barbecue that's talking all kind of smack, right? 
But it's talking about things that we all as as people, you know, in general, when I say people, people of color, the things that we talk about at the table. So we, we sit down on Tuesday nights and we would throw out ideas about different type of guests that we, you know, we would like to have on about these topics. So then we would actually early on, we would reach out, you know, to our guests just to inquire to see about, you know, feedback. So that kind of grew. And once that kind of took off, now we're at a point where now we have a lot of, you know, CEOs and, and business owners that are actually reaching out you know, inquiring how they can get on the show now. So it's made, it's made life a little bit easier now where now, you know, in your early stages, you're really trying to search and find where now, you know, the people are actually starting to search and find us. So it's, it's really going full circle. And I'm just blessed uh, to be able to continue to bring that story because everyone has a story to tell. Everybody has a business owner, entrepreneur, uh, whoever it is, everyone has a story to tell. And that's what we're all about. Oh, well, that's awesome. So at first, uh, you were reaching out to people. And now you're in a position where people are reaching out to you. Yes, sir. That yes, is sir. That's awesome. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your name is getting out there. People know you. And they're like, let me get on Dame's show. Hey, it's, time, man. it's time they blow up. Hey, man, let's do it. Look, <laughs> like, we're trying to do this together, man. It's all about, you know, it's a partnership. Right, right, right. You know, like, right. even like you and I, man, you know, the episode we were doing, uh, I really wanted somebody in the community that was local. Right. right? And we, we reached out to you, uh, and and I hate to say, so we had a couple of people prior to you. Okay. Right? Life happens. Right. Schedules change. Right. Things fall through. So then it became a thing. It was like, well, I already got this on the books. Let me, I got to reach out and find somebody. It was really important to me to find somebody local here in the DMV, man. And we connected. Uh, man, it was a great episode, man. I, and I, like I said, I really appreciate, appreciate you joining me on the show. Yeah, I was glad to be there. Um, yeah. So on to the next question. How do you uh how do you figure out what questions that you're going to ask your guests? Because that that's obviously where I struggle with. So maybe I'm just <laughs> maybe I'm just asking for advice. Now nah, you know honestly. So I've gotten to a point where um, and if you're going to do this, and this is just me, my personal opinion. Uh, this is fun for me. It's entertaining for me, but this is real. Like I want to make it as authentic as possible. So there there is a level of education in it you have to dig into your whoever it is you know whether it be you uh myself a celebrity guest ceo there is some education that has to go and i do like to deep dive and kind of read and try to find out things that you would be surprised at like man how do you even know that or you know where that question come from so there is a level of taking time to really dive into each guest and that's the part that people don't see uh when it comes to podcasting you know, it would be easy right here if I'm doing, and I hate to say it, if I'm doing a jokey joke show where we clowning all day long, I can clown with the best of them. But if you're trying to get information about a person and you're trying to help pull out a person's story, there has to be some some time invested uh, in, in getting to understand that person, to know that person. And that's how you, that's how I develop my questions. Oh, well, that's, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. So you, you do a little, do a little research and yeah. then, and you ask questions based on yeah. that research. That, that yeah. makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's at least. I tried to do that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what was your there's there's a little uh I don't want to call it a controversy, but there among podcasters, there I would say there's a conversation about whether or not a podcast should be on video or just audio only. So right now my podcast is audio only. I know that mm-hmm. video podcasts are a lot of work. So mm-hmm. uh I'm not at that point where I'm gonna put you know, I don't really have the time to put in that work that and right. I respect people who are able to put their uh, podcasts on like YouTube or whatever. So my question to you is, has your podcast already been on YouTube or is this something that you transitioned no. to? No. Uh, so again, being blessed having a team, um, 
So when I say a team, so, you know, my wife, she's my backbone. She runs everything behind the scenes. Uh, my daughter and my soon-to-be son-in-law, they do a lot of my graphic works and different things. So when the show first started out, I had no intent or no intention to be on video, right? But when you're seeing your numbers starting to grow, and one day my daughter came and said to me, she was like, Dad, I'm telling you, you're going to have to do video because people want to see the voice of the person behind the show. And for like the first season, first two seasons, I was very hesitant and very reluctant to do it. But we moved with the pandemic, the way the pandemic was moving and, you know, it was kind of at its height. It became a thing where everybody, everything had become video driven, right? Everything had become visual. So I really felt like if I was going to be able to, to continue to have some type of success, I had to break down. And kind of get in the video. So we jumped into the whole YouTube channel and started, you know, and, and honestly, it's not that difficult as people seems. The backside is hard, you know, pre the preparation and getting to that point of creating your own channel. But really, if you're already kind of sitting and doing it in a manner where you have video capability, the hardest part is learning how to edit. Right. And right. That, that's where it takes the most time. I've been blessed. I got to a point where now a lot of my shows are doing one take now. So there's really not much editing. So it just makes it that much easier just for me when I'm done. Upload, you know, do your cover, throw you a few blurbs in, you're done. Right, uh, right. But I really felt like I had no choice to stay relevant uh, and to have an opportunity to, to really go the video route. But I, I'm like you. I didn't want to do it. Right, right, right. <laughs> and and also, uh, you're handsome. You got good hair. Uh, you uh, speak uh, well. Uh, you're not doing a lot of ums and uh, uh. and redundant words. Hey, do you know how? <laughs> hey, but if you go back and check the early work, and you say you sound like my wife. My wife is like, hey, you had to stop with the ums. The uh. And again, though, it's, it's repetition, right? So it's like I would sit and go back and I would listen to myself, which I hate. Um. But it's one of those things you learn, okay, how do you get into a flow? How do you get, you know, and this became a thing, look, I'm just going, I'm going to be me. Right. Uh, that, and that worked. Yeah. You're like me. I do hate listening to myself. Like, uh, especially the early ones, I would, uh, like, I would edit the show. And then even after editing the show, I would actually listen to the show after I had published it to see what I sound like. Yep. And uh, I, I'm also blessed in that. Most of my uh, equipment that I was able to get used to, and then I was up, able to upgrade certain things. Right. So now I at least sound good, if anything. Like my, <laughs> my conversation might not be great, but at least I sound great doing it. Nah, man. But yeah, you're, you're right. It's like listen to. It's like I'm editing and listening to. It's like mm -hmm. oh, that, I got to mm -hmm. listen to this ogre. Mm -hmm. It's like, <laughs> and then sometimes I'll call into other podcasts, and then I suddenly hear my voice come on because it's a podcast I listen right. to. And I'm right. like, ooh, wow. That's <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I, I didn't realize I was going to sound like that. Amen. <laughs> hey, but but yeah, you, you got you, you sound good. You got a good radio voice, and you got a good you know podcast voice, and it's just repetition. Right. You know, the, yeah, that's all it is. It's putting in work like anything else. Yeah, I, 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 that's what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, speaking of research that we alluded to earlier, uh, checking you out, you uh, noticed that your favorite album is the illmatic by nas your favorite Man. historical person is marcus garvey yes sir and your favorite book is the shack by william p young so i wanted to specifically ask you about that what what in general is that book about and what drew you to it so i i'm not a very religious man but i, I do believe i'm a very spiritual man and really in, in, in the briefest take that i can walk this understanding about 
the journey that this man went through, you know, with his family and, and tr dealing with some loss and tragedy and really his disdain for God or how, you know, it became a thing. But as you walk through the book, it shows you about, you know, the Holy Trinity and how we, and my takeaway was how you're wrapped in that shield of the Holy Spirit and everything that we do, you know, your, your subconscious, you know, that tingling feeling that you get. All of these things are really wrapped in, you know, to God and, and takes you into it and, and, and it shields you in that Holy Spirit. And every day I try to, because I've had a point where, you know, 10 years ago, I almost lost my life. Um, you know, I remember laying on the bed and I can remember the doctor telling, telling my wife and my daughter, um, you know, if you believe in God, you know, pray because we don't know if he's going to make it. And I remember sitting there laying, I was like, you know, God, there has to be something else for me. You have to have something else better planned for me because this can't be it. And through that transformation, you know, I came out, I see color differently. I smell senses differently. I see people differently. And that book just was at a time when I was kind of dealing with that, just resonated with me and what I was going through at that time. And I kind of walk with that understanding that I am protected. I am protected in, in whatever you want to call them, you know, Jesus Christ, whoever it is. We all have something that is protecting us and covering us as human beings and helping us each and every day of our lives to strive to do something better. And, that, and that's what I walked away from. And that's why I, I believe I'm here and I'm doing what I'm doing today. Oh, that's great. It, mm -hmm. It's a book that got you through something. That helped yeah. you through a time that you was going through. I, I like that. Mm -hmm. that that's mm -hmm. pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. It's like most people don't have something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Life, life, life brings us all different things, right? And uh, you don't deny—I don't believe in denouncing anybody's faith or belief because uh, I don't know what that person has been through. Right, right. But right. if I can see that you're doing something positive, because the world we live in is so negative, man. Everything that's going on, just the negativity of it all. You have to have one piece of positivity, and that, like I said, by me going through that struggle, that's been the one piece that I've carried with me, and I continue to carry with me to, uh, you know, today. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. So um, there was something else because when I do these things, I it's like my mind is going back and forth. <laughs> it's focused and then it unfocuses. You know, it's it's a whole thing, right? Yeah, right. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, kind of, it's what happens after, like it starts in your forties, but after fifty, it's like it clicks over, oh, and man. it's like it's just not, it's just not going to work the way it man, used to. Man, you wait, you wait, <laughs> you wait. Yeah, that's for sure. The reason I brought you here, I wanted to talk about some movies. I sent you the great list of movies. And from that mm -hmm. list, you chose one of your favorite movies. I imagine it's a movie you grew up with. And the movie that we're going to talk about is Jaws. Go, we're going to do that in our opening credit segment. So let's transition to the opening credits. And if you would do me a favor and tell the audience uh, in the notes what what the movie Jaws is about. What, what's the general strokes the of general Jaws? Strokes? I, well, I'd, be, I'd be happy to, Zoe. So look, ladies and gentlemen, look, Jaws, look, like Zoe said, a, a classic of mine. I don't know about you. It's a classic. You, it's a must-see. I don't care what. If you haven't done it today in your life, you need to, if you're listening to this when this is over, go find it and go watch it. So, you know, Jaws was about, you know, Martin Brody, uh, the sheriff. Uh, he left, uh, lived the life in New York City, basically. 
Uh, so he and his family can, you know, settle out in the sleepy New England town of Amity Island, which is funny because there's an Amityville out on Long Island, <laughs> but I just found that funny. But not, that, that's something totally different. Um, as chief of police, uh, Brody's job usually involves settling, you know, local disputes. Uh, when t- but, you know, there was a time when his teenage girl's body washed up on his beach. His job description drastically changed at that moment. You'll come to find out there's a shark in the water and people are dying. Brody has to balance the politics and protecting the people of the island from shark attacks. Finally, he must join up with this wily, you know, shark and whale hunter and a scholarly oceanographer to hunt down one of the deadliest sharks ever encountered. Great. You know, this was this is the backdrop alone. I'm getting chills. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that's one of the, this is one of the most impactful movies ever. It was released. And June 20th, 1975, produced by Zanuck slash Brown Productions and Universal Pictures. It grossed over $265 million in the U.S. and Canada and over $476 nationwide on a $7 million budget with uh, great reviews. Like, just blow out with fantastic reviews. Now, here's the thing. That that's an amazing gross right there <laughs> that is like it, it, even in today's numbers like we we laugh but like those numbers are ridiculous yeah n- those not only are those numbers ridiculous but compared to the actual budget to how much money the movie made right. that profit was right. gangbusters right. so uh this movie had uh, a great cast it was starring roy scheider he plays chief of police martin brody he was in blue thunder the french connection 2020, the year he made contact, and the show that I really liked that came on TV called Sequest DSV uh, or Sequest 2032, mm-hmm. whatever it was called. I remember it as DSV, but on I IMDb, yeah, they yeah. called it uh, 2032. But yeah. here's the funny part about uh, Roy Schneider: he has a whole bunch of movie credits. Most of them I am unfamiliar with, so he's <laughs> in a lot of stuff. But uh, the the most impactful ones for me was like basically uh this one 2010 and um pro- I didn't see Blue Thunder but I was impacted by the TV commercials by the Blue TV Thunder. commercials <laughs> remember right <laughs> <laughs> yep. all right um so we also had Robert Shaw who played Quint uh he was also seen in A Man for All Seasons The Sting which I I really remember and From Russia with Love that was a James Bond yeah uh joint which I, I remember that one as well. Great. That was classic James Bond back then, though. That's when today's James Bond. That was classic James Bond. <laughs> Absolutely. Up next is Richard Dreyfus. He played Matt Hooper. He was in The Goodbye Girl, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You can check that out on episode 56. And American Graffiti. He's also been in a lot of movies, but most of the movies that Richard Dreyfus has been in is like high profile, high profile movies that yeah. I either saw or I knew yep. about, right? So yep, he right. he has more had a more visual a more a career that people are uh are more familiar with. I would agree with you on that. So then we also had uh Lorraine Gray. Uh she played Ellen Brody. Uh now some of these I don't remember, but she was in 1941. She also appeared in Zero to Sixty, and obviously she had to close out the Jaws <laughs> trilogy with Jaws Two and Jaws the Revenge. Right, yeah. right. I and think... I'll be honest with you, I don't remember Lauren Gray that much. Right, right. Uh, it's either Gray or Gary. I'm not exactly sure. Oh, Gary. Sure. Gary. I'm sorry. You're right. Gary. My boy is Gary. Right. Well, mm-hmm. it's not a surprise because she's that you don't remember too much of her uh, her work because they're not high profile works. And she didn't have a lot of uh, acting 
uh, opportunities. Nah. Like she, it's mainly for the Jaws series. That's mainly yeah. what she's known for. Yeah. And the only movie apparently that she wasn't in was Jaws 3D. But, oh, right, the 3D one. Right. Yeah. 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 But she, she didn't was make in the cut. other one. Right. 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 <laughs> Up next is Murray Hamilton. He played Mayor Larry Vaughn. He's also in the Dra- the Graduate and Anatomy of a Murder and uh, several other movies. Uh, he's very good. Just the the classic consummate slimy politician. <laughs> yeah, and he was grimy and slimy. He played right. that one. He fit that to a T in that one. I mean, right. he was like this dude. Like here he come again. Somebody smack this guy. Right. This, and t- t- no, I was just gonna say he reminds me of today's politics. Hey, was well, like, well, I'm not, not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> we'll get I'm into it later. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into it later. I'm not, not going to get into it, man. I'm not going to do it. Uh, we also had Carl Gottlieb. Uh, he played Ben Meadows. Uh, he's also been seen in uh, Clueless, uh, which I do recall. Uh, Johnny, Danger- uh, Johnny Dangerously as well. Uh, and I believe you also talked about uh, him. Or was that episode 88? That is correct. Okay. So, uh, Johnny Den- Dangerously is in one of he's That's one of my favorite movies. And then when I saw that he played the doctor, I remember the doctor. That's one of those iconic scenes. The doctor is basically uh, offering deals t- for Johnny to for, yes. to. to, to uh, help heal his wife. His, yes, uh, his I mom. remember. Yes, his mom has like heart problems. It's like, well, I got a half price on heart surgery. <laughs> yes, yeah, stuff I remember like that. that. So I, I have an asterisk by his name because we're going to talk about him later on. And okay. lastly, that I have on the list, obviously, it's there are more people in the cast, but these are I feel are like the most impactful, impactful players in the movie. Right. Uh, Jeffrey Kramer, he played definitely Deputy Lenny Hendricks, and he's been in Clue and Santa Claus the movie and some other projects. Uh, he he was funny in Jaws. He was just kind of a goofy. He was close to. He was like a realistic a realistic portrayal of Barney Fife. I feel but, like. straight Barney Fife. <laughs> uh, a, t- a reenactment, a reincarnation of at the time. Right. You know that time's Barney Fife. I agree. That was he was hilarious, man. Right. Hilarious. And and, uh, and guys, if you don't know Barney Fife, that's a character on the Anna Griffin show. He played the the bumbling deputy. Deputy, yes. <laughs> This just a mess. Right, right. <laughs> Couldn't get over his own two left feet. All right, go ahead uh, so, and tell us about the director. So it was directed by, you know, everyone knows Steven Spielberg today. Uh, you know, he's also directly uh the Sugarland Express, uh the great Raiders of the Lost Ark, which you've also done a conversational episode about in episode 13, if I'm correct. Um, you also had E.T. the extraterrestrial. I remember E.T. when I was a kid. That was that was another classic, another great movie. And uh, we also, uh, he directed the, the great, The Color Purple, which, yo, yo, man, you'd be on a roll, bro. You had, you talked about The Color Purple, too, in episode, I believe, it was 75 on your show, too. Yes, that, that is correct. That's one of the most impactful. That's the, like, the one movie where Zachary was like, well, it's a good movie, but it's not for me. Because The Color Purple, The Color Purple is a tough movie. And I saw it when I was, like, really young. So uh, it, it was a, it was, it was impactful and it was like emotionally disturbing almost <laughs> for, you for, know, I mean, for me I had, but it's like when i, I had ask, to say movie movies like that make me mad yeah like this brings out the anger in me right man. right just, i try to stay away from movies like that i mean great i, I seen it right 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 i try to forget it <laughs> I, I really try to <laughs> but I, I like it because there is a sense of triumph at the end there is a sense of accomplishment at the end of the movie like you mm. don't 
he doesn't leave you feeling anguish and it's such a surprise that it was steven spielberg who directed it and he didn't want to direct it he was like like somebody like spike lee should direct this and i think right. i forgot who it was um but there was somebody that convinced him no i need you to direct it you can do this you can direct it and i he did such a great job because it wasn't like him going well this is my movie this is how i'm gonna direct it right he basically let the actors tell the story it's mostly american african-american yeah. cast yeah. so he's like this is your story you tell the story and I, i'm just gonna shoot it right and, and, and yeah you know and, and it's not i think that was the, the best thing probably for him to do at that point you know right uh you're not coming from that actual background right right, right. uh and, and that that cast was I mean, it was star studied yeah um and to really be able to capture that work I think you have to give him credit for being able to step back maybe out of his own ego, if yeah. you will, you know, because uh, he was really big at, you know, on that rise uh, and to step back and let them just go ahead, and let the characters and the actors play. Uh, I think that was probably brilliant, if you will, by him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of brilliance going on. And you would know that from his first film, his first like major film was the Sugarland Express. So you wouldn't know from watching the Sugarland Express that he was going yeah. to be this huge superstar. Right. right. But um his very his second movie was at the time the biggest box office master, which is Jaws. Jaws. So, That's right. Jaws. Like, yeah. It's almost like he learned from his mistake in Sugarland yeah. Express and, and did a course correction. <laughs> and I have I've never seen the Sugarland Express. And it stars uh some very notable actors. It stars Goldie Hawn and then mm -hmm. I forgot the 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 second um the other character, like the supposed to be her husband or boyfriend or whatever, yeah. but he plays that that actor plays this the uh, slimy reporter on Die Hard. If you remember that guy, that's the one that gets punched in the face. Oh, he's the one that gets punched in the face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy. He he's the uh, he's the he plays the boyfriend that oh, wow. basically runs away with her. Wow. So and that's supposed to be based on a true story. I think maybe I want to look at that just to see what what does his first effort looks like. Right. <laughs> to to some of his later works, we you know he's right. definitely grown. Right. 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 <laughs> so the screenplay is by Peter Benchley and oh here's the name again Carl Gottlieb. Carl Gottlieb. Uh -huh. uh -huh. <laughs> so he, he wrote the uh screenplay and he uh and he's he was he played a small part in the movie. And um so eventually he was the one who wrote the novel Jaws and the movie that it was mm. based on. He doesn't have okay. a lot of like I didn't see a bunch of acclaimed novels under his name. It's really if you mention his name, you're only gonna come up with Jaws. Jaws. As, like if you talk about somebody like Steven Spielberg, then you're gonna get a bunch of books under Steven Spielberg. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or not Steven Spielberg, right? I meant uh Who's the other one? Who's the horror writer? Uh, um, Stephen King. Pete, that's Stephen what, King. Yeah, that's what Stephen I was King. About. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there'll be a bunch of books under Stephen King, or uh, you know, if you talk about some other authors. But for Benchley, it's mainly Jaws, and I think that's basically how how we made his living. And hey, then look, I'm not mad. He probably he probably retired well on that. Too. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. And then Gutleb, he uh, he's a main screenwriter on this movie. He also wrote Doctor Detroit caveman and the jerk which is a uh, hey. show that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks i think one of my favorite man again that was steve martin was classic <laughs> back in the day man he was a classic guy really right, funny right really right. classic he, that, um that's one of my favorite movies i love <laughs> it i'm gonna have to tune in for that one when you do that one man i, I really that that should be funny um so i guess we want to talk about the music um the music was by uh john williams uh now this one these are some things i didn't know uh 91 years old, and he's the composer of 168 pieces that uh, are credited to his name. Like, that's mind-blowing, man. That's 
crazy. Right. And some of the pieces were Indiana Jones. Well, really? I, I was a big Indiana Jones kid. And uh, the Dial of Destiny. Okay. And that was must be something you have upcoming because I'm not, I don't know why I'm not really familiar with that. Yeah. One. The, the Dial of Destiny is going, is the latest Indiana Jones film. And oh. John Williams is going to compose it. He's 91 years old, like wow. you said. And this is going to be, this is supposed to be his his retiring work. Like he's going to retire wow. off of the work that he like since he did all the Indiana Jones movie, he did all of the Star Wars movies. Right. He's done uh and he's done a lot of Steven Spielberg movies. So this is the work that he's going to retire off of this this last movie. And wow. um are you go ahead and continue. Yeah, well I'm I'm blown away. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh so some of some of his other work has been the Fablemans. Uh, the Adventures of of Ten Ten, wow! Uh, and Memoirs of a Geisha, man, this dude is extensive, man. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, like no. most of your favorite movies, he's direct. He's he's composed the music for. Um, all, like also like uh, Superman from nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, nineteen seventy nine. Really? That, that's his. That's his work. But you can kind of tell because his uh, Superman sounds a lot like Star Wars. <laughs> well, true. You, you know, you're right. When you step back and you really listen to it, it really does. You're right. Yeah. You're really right. But uh, yeah, it's uh, he he's done a lot of iconic films. It's, it's like when when he does a work, it's always good. It's always good. So. Yeah, he's yeah, and this crazy. is just like 168 just as composer credits. It's like he's done a lot more in the uh, music compart uh, music department. There are a lot of works that he's not credited for, like stuff that he worked on that he wasn't credited for in the movie. So yeah, he's wow. just he's just a music man. I think a lot of the stuff that ends up in movies is are just compositions that he had worked on that had not been used in anything. He's like, oh, you need a competition? Yeah, well, this is something yeah. I wrote like five years ago. How yeah. about we use this? He's the James <laughs> Brown. He's the James Brown of composers. Right, oh, right. Pick right. that piece up over there on the floor. Yeah, that one didn't make it. You could use that piece right there. Right, yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, that's it for the opening credits. And if you're enjoying the show, remember that you can get T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, face masks, jerseys, and more at our website, backlickcinema.com slash shops. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you got one new design a couple of weeks ago. I promise I'm working on some more. <laughs> so, I, I'm, I'm a one-man design shop. I know that's right. <laughs> so... um. As I said, that that's it for the uh, opening credits. Now we're gonna, after this, we're gonna talk about our favorite parts. All right, we're back. We're gonna talk about our favorite parts of the movie Jaws. Uh, here's a funny thing. Uh, as I watch movies i like to take notes because we mentioned my memory earlier it's not that great so i like to take notes so i i can uh talk about effectively my favorite parts of the movie now what interestingly happened is that i took the notes and then i lost the notes i had no idea what i wrote <laughs> i mean like, i remember kind of like the broad strokes of what i liked about the movie but i don't i don't remember uh like there was specific things i wanted to talk about that yeah. i missed and here, here's another thing in watching jaws i realized i had not actually seen the movie before from beginning to end like i don't see pieces of it but i never actually i was like oh i and this has happened a couple of times before and it's either that or a movie that i know i've seen before but have absolutely no recollection of like i don't remember the beats <laughs> of the movie don't remember who was in the movie don't remember uh like it, it's like watching this movie for the very first time 
But in the, this case of Jaws, and, and the thing about Jaws is like, it was so popular when I was growing up people, and people talked about it so much. And you would see pieces of like, when it came on television, I would see pieces of it, but like not the whole film. So I would see those, mm-hmm. the same scenes so often that it felt as though I've seen the movie. Cause like, I basically knew the story. I knew the beats. I just never like actually watched it from beginning to end. It was like part of uh, a spoken word uh, mythos or, or something. It was part of a, a spoken word culture in America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, but what I did was, uh, so I watched some, um, some reviews and, and think pieces on Jaws on YouTube. And, and I reconstituted my notes from that. There you go. There you go. That's where you gotta be creative. <laughs> so, uh, why don't you start off, uh, tell, tell us what was one of your favorite parts about Jaws. Man. Uh, wow. So there was, there's probably two that I can think of really off the top of my head that stand out to me. So um, there was the one where there's the scene where uh, the shark attacks. Um, uh, what is it? Is it Mark? Uh, Mark Hooper? Like when he's in the cage? Yes. Yeah. Under the water. Right. Like, right. 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 The intensity of that scene, um, for me, like when I still think, like that's kind of one of the first things that jump out to me. Just, just the action and the intensity. And I want to say. Um, I remember reading somewhere, um, and I, I and I meant to go back and verify if this was true or not. So that scene, uh, the way that it happened, an actual great white shark showed up during the filming of that scene, and that was really a real great. It wasn't Bruce, right? Uh, right the right, mechanical right. shark. <laughs> it was an actual great white, and it was so intense that they actually kept that scene. Instead of cutting that scene, if I remember correctly. So, like, that's, like, they even think that that was actually real. Now, that would probably explain why it was so intense. Uh, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? But that one stood out to me. Um, and honestly, the, uh, what was it? The first, well, not the first scene, but the, I guess it was kind of like the opening scene uh, where the young boy was uh, attacked and killed by the shark. Um, I think it was the visual of it, I think for me at that time coming up. Like you, you really didn't have that type of visual, mm-hmm. uh, and then like you know, cause I, I was a beach goer and a beach lover, like that's one of those is like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is what's going on at the beach. It's like so those two scenes in particular are like two of my favorite, and they and they stand out to me the most, right, off the top of my head, right, right, right. Now, mm-hmm. what I, one of the things I loved about the movie, the thing that for me that makes the movie is the music. Like it's mm-hmm. the music that the score is the most iconic thing of all. When you when you hear the the theme music for Jaws, that that's basically a standard for Jaws. Like most of the movie, you don't actually see the shark, right. but you hear the music. So you hear the strumming of the string instruments. Dun, 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 dun. When you say he's, he's coming, he's coming. It's just like you're basically dead, yeah. uh, or you're going to lose a body part. It's it's basically that's happening, and that was one of the most impactful things about the movie. When you hear that, basically ratcheted up the tension, and right. I, I really enjoy how they did that. And it's really um, you don't really hear it used as effectively that often, right? And then. Uh, Another thing that was kind of surprising to me 
is that uh, the touching moment that you had with Brody and his son. So there's one moment in particular where Brody is like, he's home and he's like stressing out over the work. You know, you got the shark attack, you got the mayor trying to uh, keep the beaches open while there's a shark that's obviously in the water is being all territorial and attacking people. And it's like, he's trying to figure out how he's going to deal with all this. And his son is like, imitating his frustration like brody has his head in the sand and the son puts his head in the sand and then the father leans back and the son leans back and it's like he's the son is just imitating his father and i just thought that was a that was a sweet moment that was it was a touching moment and i somehow didn't expect that when i was watching this movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right yeah that was that was a real touching moment man right real right touching. right mm-hmm. there, there was a lot of funny moments too so oh. unexpected funny moments like one of them was uh when they was tossing the chum into the into the water trying to attack attract mm-hmm. the shark yeah so he's uh, like they got schneider schneider or brody uh, yep. dumping the chum in yep. and then you had uh quinn he's like basically captain the ship and brody doesn't want to throw the chum in the water he's like how about we get how about we get Cooper down here to throw the chum? And he's like, Cooper has to drive the ship. And he's right. like, I, I could drive a ship. <laughs> like, why am I doing this here? Get them down here. Right, Look. right. And then it's at that point that uh, you, it's one of the first times you see Jaws, Jaws or the shark. I'm calling mm-hmm. him Jaws. Everybody yeah. called him Jaws when I was growing up. I didn't realize that that wasn't his name. All no, of a sudden, that you wasn't. See, all of a sudden, you see Bruce come up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bruce. Exactly. And Bruce, Bruce like, came out of nowhere. It's like, yeah, out of nowhere. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then Brody just happened to turn to see, and he, like, jumps back. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he says is, we're going to need a bigger need boat. Need a bigger boat, yeah. <laughs> and that was I didn't, iconic. Right. It's an iconic line. What I didn't mm-hmm. realize is that mm-hmm. he kept saying it. It's like, how yep. about we get a bigger boat, man? Yeah. Come on, let's get a bigger boat. <laughs> and He's then, like... It's not going to work, man. This boat is not going to work. Right, right. And then uh, he's trying to call the Coast Guard to help out, and Quinn Kate takes and destroys the radio. <laughs> so, he's, so at that point, he's gone full Captain Ahab. On, on oh, that. he was done. He was done with it. He was done. Right, right. And uh, <laughs> there was this thing I saw about the essay. It was, it was great that it talked about. Uh, so one of the things was that... Uh, they covered each other's weakness. They all had strength and they all had weaknesses. So Quinn's mm-hmm. his strength was that, you know, he's obviously a skilled shark hunter. And so, you know, he's he's the best at what he does. He can kill the shark. He actually, when he went to the town, the mayor was first offering three thousand dollars to kill the shark. And he says, I'll do it if you give me ten thousand dollars. Like otherwise he wasn't gonna right. go in the water. Like right. and uh yeah. the other one was um so he's great at shark hunting, but he's kind of like, he's a little bit crazy and, and unstable. And Brody, he was um, inexperienced, like totally useless in right. the water, but he was like a stabilizing element uh, right. to that team. Right. And right. then uh, Cooper, he was the, uh, basically the, the knowledgeable oceanographer. He, he brought all of his expensive equipment. And then it showed that at the end of the movie, like Brody was able to bring the best of both worlds. So he was able both to worlds. combine like one of the mm-hmm. things that um uh, Cooper, is it Cooper or Boomer? I I'm not even sure if I'm saying his name right. <laughs> Hooper Ooh, with a Hooper, with an H. Yeah, Hooper. Yeah. So yeah. Hooper had brought along a bunch of equipment and one of them was these were these gas canisters that kept get, yep. getting in the way. Yeah. And so uh 
Brody realized that he that's when he shoved the gas canister in the mouth. That was what Hooper brought. And then Quinn had all of his equipment, including a gun that you he really could he tried to shoot the could. shark with the gun, <laughs> but it wasn't working. But right. that's but Brody was able to get the gun that Quinn had and shoot the canister in the shark's canister. mouth that mm-hmm. Hooper brought and killed mm-hmm. the shark. So he was able to bring everything together at yep. the end of at the end of the movie. So yep. Uh, I liked the way uh, the story was kind of like brought together. Like you had different elements and disparate parts, and then how it slowly starts to come together. Come together at the end mm-hmm. of the movie. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think you hit it on the head. You know, he, Brody was the glue, if you will. Uh, yeah. And then you had this. You had this guy that was kind of like a loose cannon, uh, kind of unpredictable. Uh, and then you had someone who's who was strong and steady, but wasn't really sure. Right. Uh, if this was going to, you know, you know, and and uh, as the story went on and unfolded, Brody was the glue to the whole thing that was able to really move the chess pieces on the board, if you will, uh, and, and kind of make things happen. So I, I like I like how you put that together, you know, just because I never really as you were talking, I was like, dang, you know, he's right. Yeah, like, <laughs> didn't really quite catch it from from that aspect. But you're 100 percent right. And that, that's a great analogy. I, yeah, I, I didn't catch it too until I watched the video. <laughs> uh, also, uh, so what did you think of uh, the mayor, uh, Mayor Vaughn? You know, it, it's back to what you said earlier on. Um, uh, so I'm going to say, like, I, I compare him to, uh, we had a, a recent number president, 45, I believe it was. Uh, there's a, There are great similarities um, in, in that mayor. And uh, this gentleman that had held office here uh, in our country for a while. There's great, great parallels and similarities. It was all about the summer, summer dollar, uh, you know, money over people, you know, and this, just the, I won't say blindness, but he was this dog, his dog, doggedness, if you will, of money over everything uh, and how important it was. And I understand, you know, being a beach and travel and all of that, but he didn't give a darn about nobody's life. He was all about the dollar. I wouldn't say that he didn't, he didn't care, but it it seemed to me that he was in a state of denial, right? He was in Mm -hmm. a state of denial up until he was scared, right? He got to the point where like his son was threatened by the shark and he got scared and he basically acquiesced to basically closing the beach. Cause there was like an unexpectedly funny part that I liked that where you had everybody gathered on the beach. This is at a time when people now yeah. know that there's a shark a shark in the and, water. And mm-hmm. some people have been, had been killed. Like at right. least two people have been killed. So you got a whole bunch of people on the beach. And I, th- I'm not sure if this is before or after they killed that little tiger shark, mm-hmm. but it may have been after. I'm not exactly sure. I think, but, yeah, that's that's when they thought that they, they had, Got the right, right. The shark, yeah, right. it was, it was, yeah. So mm-hmm. everybody's on the beach, but nobody's in the water, and the mayor is going up to people saying, "Come right. on, you got to get into the water. You got to get into the water. Come on, everybody, come on, get into the water and safe." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Got to so get that, that money. That that was funny. Uh, there's also another. Uh, the other funny parts is that how when the chief, the chief of police, Brody, when he finds out uh, when when it comes to him that there's a shark and people are dying in the water and he's trying to it's like all new to him and he's also inexperienced he's from new york city right so he just kind of just moved there 
and he's trying to get everything together to figure out how to deal with right. uh, the shark. And right. people are coming up to him with their little petty. Dis- everything is petty now. <laughs> everything is petty now. It's like, oh yeah, this dude is doing this to me, and I need you to do this. Chief was like, yeah, I, I'm. There is a. Sh- right. I got a. There's a shark the in the water. Right, 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 right. There's a shark in the water. <laughs> right, I don't right. care what he did. There's a shark out here. It's like I don't know. I I, I got to close the. And when, when he first tried to close the beaches, he's like, where are the signs? Like we don't have any signs. Oh my god. But right, go what get signs? Some signs. <laughs> Right. What signs? We don't have signs. We don't do no stinking signs. <laughs> so yeah, that that was all funny. Um, we talked about the the, the politics of closing the beach. The, uh, mm-hmm. So the thing is, you're you're exactly right on that front. It's the uh, it, it mirrors a lot of things that we see. Uh, that you you were thinking about like the pandemic, and I tend to think about like what's going on right now. We just had a tragic shooting. Uh, yeah, this past. Yeah. Was it this past week or the past two weeks? And the by past the time, two weeks, yeah. right? And then by the time this video come out, there there might be another tragic shooting. It might not be at a school. It might be in a mall. It might be in a movie theater. You never right. know nowadays, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. I just saw this politician on TV, and it was from his. I think he was the mayor of that town, or he's from that district, or something like that. And he was saying, or he may have been a governor. And uh, mm-hmm. a reporter had asked him about uh, school shootings, and basically his response is, "Well, there's nothing we can do about it." And uh, and it and the reporter asked him, "Well, what about what if it were your daughter?" And he's like, "Well, fortunately, my daughter's homeschooled." And I was like, "Oh, was this all? Oh, so this yeah. is somebody who strikes me yeah. who really doesn't care. It's like he's, he doesn't <laughs> really doesn't care. Doesn't. Like, oh my my daughter's homeschooled, but it's like the problem is that he's forgetting about." The shootings in other places, right? So, mm-hmm. but that he doesn't care. That, yeah, so that that's that's a problem, and that's kind of like what we're going through now. We we got too many of these mayor Vons in our uh, governorships and in, in government church, yeah, in our Oof. presidency and in, in the Senate. We got too many of these uh, mayor Vons that are, that are allowing uh, these unfortunate and events to happen. There's something they can do about it, but they won't. And they, it's not even they, they refuse to. Right, they refuse you know, to. It, and and, yeah. and this is the the sad thing is, if it doesn't, if it's not affecting me, then it's not a problem. Right, right, absolutely. And and it's like and that movie showed the same thing, like you said. Right. It was it didn't become a problem, you know, until you know his son is in the you know all of a sudden it became a problem because oh that's my son. Right, right, right. And he was everybody shaking. else doesn't matter. Right, he was shaking. Yeah. Right, he was shaking yeah. when he told Chief Brody because like he had to sign something for Chief Brody so that Brody yep. could do because. At that time, Brody was like, "We gotta hire this uh, shark hunter. We gotta hire yep. Quinn. Yep. We gotta." And it's like the mayor is shaking, but he signs yep. the the authority to hire the shark hunter to go and kill sure the shark. Did. So, um, yeah, I talked about. Uh, hold on, there's the. Oh yeah, so, uh, where, what did you think of the? There's a famous speech that Quinn does on when <laughs> they're out in the water, and they uh, uh, many people refer to it as the the Indianapolis speech. Yes. Now, what I found funny about that speech is that it's it's one of those speeches because his accent is so thick in it, is that it's best with subtitles or watch it a couple of times, right? <laughs> in order you can get the nuance. So, so you know, with that Indianapolis speech, uh, rumor has it that when he first did the speech, he was so drunk that it they couldn't even use it. So he had to, he came back the next day. Uh, and I guess, you know, he, you know how we are as human beings. You, you have time to kind of think about yourself, your actions. Like, like he was probably like, man, I was smashed. But they said he came back the next day and nailed that clip in one take. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and they say he killed it. 
Uh, and I agree with you. Like, yeah, some of it, like, sometimes you got to be like, what do you say? Right, right, right. right, right. <laughs> but see, that's that's him doing the accent. And that here's, was, yeah. And here's the yeah. thing, though. Um, yeah, that's I put that in the trivia. That's one of the things we're going to talk about in the trivia. Mm-hmm. And you're 100% right. He was smashed and it, it was mm-hmm. unusable. But when he did it, it, it was like, and when you watch it, it's riveting. And then what's also interesting is what you, like, he's beside Hooper. So you watch right. Hooper reacting to the story. His, and yeah. that also, he's building, he's building up. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> that also adds intensity to the scene. Yep. And so he's just talking about it. So mm-hmm. uh, it's him. And the story goes that, you know, he's in the Navy. He's delivering the a- atomic bomb. And then after delivery on the way back, they, uh, I forgot, something happens to their, their boat. And so it starts mm-hmm. to sink and, and it sinks. Everybody's in the water and then right. they, they're attacked by sharks. And so mm-hmm. he said that he doesn't know how many sharks there was. It could have been uh, hundreds. It could have been thousands of sharks. But there were 1,100 crewmen on that boat and only right. 360, including him, was able to get rescued out of the water. He says, like, during the whole time, the, the mission was so secret that there wasn't even, um, like, when the, the boat didn't show up on time to the harbor, you're yep. supposed to do a, a, a report saying, you know, this boat is missing. So they never right. sent out that report that the boat was missing, right? Because the mission was too secret. So too the, secret. these these navy uh, th- these naval men were uh, I forgot what you call naval men uh, <laughs> sailors. <laughs> you call them sailors. I remember now. <laughs> so these sailors are out in the water and like in the dark, uh, being attacked by sharks. He says first they grab you and then there are screams. Bring them in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's uh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just horrible. <laughs> it was a heck of a story, man. Right. And he it, told I mean, it well. Oh, he, he not only told it, he sold it. I mean, it it was beyond, like, like I said, just the tense moment of the story. Uh, it has you, like you said, and then you have, you know, Quinn, you know, he's sitting there like, just the buildup and, and, and the energy and the anticipation of the story and, and the horror of it all, man, it, it just, whoa, it, it's like it's like woven fabric, you know, and that that's just one of those scenes that will forever be iconic in that movie. I don't care how you cut it; that it's an iconic scene. Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things that I, I saw is that uh, they had talked about on one of the essays that I watched. So how how Brody is apart from the other two. So the other mm-hmm. two that you have Hooper is over. <laughs> The oceanographer, and you have Quinn. He's the consummate sailor, the shark hunter, mm-hmm. the whale hunter, the fisherman, and they're all and they're like sharing scars and and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And they're kind of together, even though they don't like each other. They're kind of together, right? But and, they're bonding. It's a, it was a bonding moment, right? But even like when like when they first meet, they they don't like each other. Oh no, but, not at but all. they're closer to each other because they're of the sea. Then yeah. Brody is to either of them. So he, in this he's scene, a guy. right? So in this mm-hmm. scene, the two seamen are like together but brody mm-hmm. is kind of apart but by yep. the end of the story brody is with them so yep. it, it it is a story that brings them together mm-hmm. as comrades in, in this right. adventure and that fight in yeah. that fight right mm-hmm. right right mm-hmm. so um all, all of the stuff where they're in the water and they see the shark and they're they're tying off like the barrels and shooting at the shark and all this other kind of stuff all of that all of that was great i loved all of that part because at first I didn't understand what they were doing. And then I saw that they was actually using the burrows to keep the shark above the water so that above the he water. couldn't, mm-hmm. so the shark couldn't die. So mm-hmm. I loved all of that. And the reason I loved it is because 
I don't know what's going on. I don't know nothing about o- oceanography or shark hunting or anything like that. It's like, but right. they're explaining through action and through context what is going on. So as I'm watching, I'm getting clued in. It's like, oh, they're right. using the barrels because like when they put right. two barrels on the shark and the shark's still able to dive. And then Quinn is like, there's no way. There's, there's no right. way. Right. Right. Like, this is impossible. This is impossible. Right. When you get to the point when <laughs> Quinn is shocked, that's when, oh, now we all got to worry. Now, now we got to but, worry. But you know what else I think was great about that too? So uh, think about the context of, so w- visually you can't see in the ocean, right? So again, by putting those buoys and those, those uh, can, can, canisters in it, it gives another visual context that now you're visually, your eyes can relate to. Cause so now it's making sense. So when you're hearing the background story, now it gives you more depth to what's actually going on. So when you see them, you know, disappear and then next thing you know, they pop up over here. It gives you that visual context too. And I thought that was uh, amazing to add that because we don't, you don't see anything in the water. Right, right, right. You, you can't see anything. Right. So to add that element, I thought that was great too. Right, especially since the barrels were were light, bright, right, right. To help right, them track the right, shark. right, uh, right. And they managed to uh, lasso or attach another a third barrel to the shark, but I think eventually right. the the shark breaks free of of all yep. three barrels. But yeah, yep. that's yep. uh that 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 I liked how they use the context of their actions to explain the movie to the audience without being uh overly uh you know over explaining it uh, right right you know right so that that's all it married it married well it right, married well right. it really it really it really married up together well so um brody's character uh i like brody's character arc so that is in when you first see him in the movie even though he's in a beach town he does not like the water he doesn't go into the water he i think he had like a, a bad ocean experience yeah, one time experience mm-hmm. so he didn't want to go back in the water even there, there was a time when uh they was trying to get Everybody, when there was a shark attack, they're trying to get everybody out of the water. There are people are going into the water to rescue their loved ones, but he's like on the edge of the water. Not he didn't want to touch the water. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then as like as the story progresses, he uh he now he's on a boat. He still doesn't like mm-hmm. the water. Like doesn't mm-hmm. like the smell of the chum. He's in the way. Right. He's like doing wrong knots and knocking stuff over. He's just basically yep, kind of. Yep. Not only is he somewhat useless, but he's kind of bumbling, right? <laughs> like so. But he, he's a he's a fish out of water, right? Right. <laughs> right pun pun. Right. right. <laughs> and uh, like that's why he gets the job of of throwing the chum in the water because it's basically all that he's good for, <laughs> right? <laughs> but right, he grows and is like because he's the the uh, he he's because he's learning from experience and everything after. Uh, he loses. He basically he loses Cooper because Cooper was in the cage, and then the shark basically tore the cage open. Tore the cage, up. and he was able to somehow get the shark away from him. And then he mm-hmm. he he dove under out of the cage under the water and hid in some rocks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. And then that's when the shark went and started attacking the boat. And then mm-hmm. another great scene when he attacked Bro, not not Brody. He attacked Quinn, and that was yeah, that was. You know that was incredible. <laughs> that was that was another rough scene. That yeah. was another one. You know that was, but it was incredible to again the visual to see. Uh, you know, just with a me- mechanical shark, uh, it looked so real at the time. You know, and man, Quinn Quinn went out like a champ though. But I mean, I, that was hard. That was that was hard to swallow, man. That was that was hard to swallow. Yeah, yeah. That that was the thing about uh, well, so that. 
the shark attacks the boat. Like he's like biting through wood, trying to get at the people. It's like, <laughs> and Tim, he's acting more like a, a mammalian sea creature than a shark at this yep. point. Cause yep. like, um, whales yep. and dolphins have been known to, to harass boats, especially killer whales. And, uh, right. so, right. Um, so the shark is harassing the boat and then it gets to the point where he's basically just eating through the boat. And that's when, that's when he gets to Quinn. He's like eating through the boat to get to Quinn <laughs> and the boat is mm. sinking. And then Quinn just basically mm. flows into the shark's mouth. Yeah, right into his mouth. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> then he just starts getting chomped. I was like, oh, oh man. Oh. I was like, not Quinn. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Not Quinn. Oh. Hey, right. oh, that was great. That was a great scene. Right. That was a great and scene. then um, what I didn't realize uh, is that he basically predicted his own death. So there was a, uh, when he was talking about how Sharks gonna eat you like like first they're gonna chomp down on you and then they'll swallow you whole. Swallow you whole. Yeah, that's basically yeah. what happened to him. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. yeah the, so, um, and then like, like at the end of the movie, that's when uh Brody basically says, "All my life I was afraid of water, and now I'm not, and I can't imagine why." Right. So, yeah, that's yeah. a heck of a way to get over your field water. Right, right. I yeah. mean that that was more than an adventure, man. Right, like <laughs> nobody signing up for that. <laughs> I, look, I probably never want to go in. I I would have turned my badge in. I would have turned my gun in. This is not for me. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, a- any other parts that you could think of that you really liked about this movie? Uh, I mean, I think those were like the most iconic. Like you know. There's some other one, like, and you even touched on, like, you know, so I talked about the young man, but even in the beginning, uh, I think her name was Chrissy, uh, the way that the first young lady was, I mean, just to be introduced to it, right, to the, to the Joy series in that manner, right, even, that was a heck of an introduction, right, uh, right, right, because that, that, that was, it was horrific in a sense, because you didn't really know what it was, you never, right, other than, other than a Finn, right. You never really knew what it was, so right. to be introduced to it that way was pretty. It's pretty rough. It was graphic, you know, even for those times. Right. Um, and then you also told you know just uh, some of the humility, I guess, if you will, of family. Uh, I believe there was another scene, you know, where his son uh, would imi- was imitating him at the table. Right. Uh, when you know so. Just looking at the humility, you know, the hum, human side and the humility of it all uh, and being a dad and being a father and being responsible for your family. And here it is, you know, your son is mimicking you and the things that you do at the table. Um, I, I found that to be really strong uh, because like, man, you know, it, it's almost touching. You know, now we're, we're kind of getting to what the movie is all about. Well, man, this man's got to worry about his family too, right? You know, so I, I thought that was touching. Um, and then there was a part where, uh, what was the lady? The lady he that said, slapped uh, the chief? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Notice I knew exactly who you were talking about. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was something about that scene. Um, the anger and this, you know, the manner that, the, you know, the community really felt like it was on. It was his responsibility to solve this, uh, while he was doing his best. And you know, we even in our time now, it's like you, sometimes your best is not enough. Right. But people don't see all of what you're doing. Right. Right. So you, you know what I'm saying? Right. So like, just that scene was just kind of like that that push and pull, that tug, 
And that slap, you know, that that all like this kind of is what I took from it. Right, right. Yeah, and, yeah. and the problem was that the the problem is that he, initially he wanted to close the beaches and try yes. to kill yeah. the shark and all this kind yeah. of stuff. But right. then even the community, like they had a town meeting, the whole community was against closing the beaches because yeah. they're all about the money too. Was right. first it was the mayor who had told him not to. And right. uh, that's and then the community came together, and then they didn't want to, and mm-hmm. then she came and she said that you know you knew about the shark and you let people go in the water, and my son right. died, and she slapped right. him, and I was like, yep. well, he didn't deserve all that smoke, right? Mm-hmm. right. <laughs> I mean, that, the mayor then, should have gotten some of that smoke, and, and that, that was saying like you don't see what's going on behind scenes. He's right. fighting the mayor, right? You right. know, but but you're putting it all on him, right? Like he's not doing enough, and I was just like, damn, that was cold blooded, right? Like, right. I was with you. You know, so it, I just, it was very unbalanced, but it's so true and relevant in how, to me, how we always deal with things as as a community and as people. We look at that person as like they're not doing enough when we don't know the whole backstory. Right. It just resonates, you know, with, with today's society. Even from that time, to, you know, the time period that we've gone now, we're talking about, whew, man, we're talking about almost 40 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but it just resonates in how sometimes we in the community... Uh, we just really see the person in front, right? You know, right, he's right. the sheriff, and but we're not really understanding that you know he's got to deal with the mayor, and the mayor's giving him grief, right, and, and fever, making it difficult for him to effectively do his job, right? You know, and right. uh, but he's the one that gets the smack and the slap, <laughs> yeah, you know, right, right, right. Mayor gets to walk away, so yeah, right. I, it, it it was so uh, cognizant to no cognizant, not really cognizant, but reminiscent of how we are still to this day so, right uh, yeah that that was a great scene right yeah apparently the lesson of this movie is that people don't change at least that's what the lesson is now <laughs> no it's uh, true though so uh, true. I, I will admit that when i compare this movie to more recent movies like uh deep blue sea or uh the meg that those two movies aren't as nearly well made as jaws but yeah. The the special effects are better. So yeah, but not yeah. not to say not to say that like I'm not saying that you know the like Jaw should be better because the thing is, or at least the special effects of Jaw should be better. It's just that um like I I didn't even know it doesn't look like Jaws doesn't look fake. It looks like a real shark to me yeah. when I watched the movie. It, it, yeah. Everything was real, but in the new in the newer movies, what they tend to do is that it's 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 like they over animate the animals. Like it's like even yeah. it's like Too even much. more realistic than Too than much. than real. So uh and and the the shark attacks are more vicious because they all feel like if like if they're going to make an, a shark movie, it has to be more shocking than Jaws was. No. So that that's Tell one of the, that's one of the things I kind of noticed is that yeah, Jaws is like a, a kind of like a more realistic portrayal, and then these. Other newer movies, they're more like, well, we gotta hype it up a little bit. Yeah, so true. I'm used Too to seeing, I'm used to seeing the other movies, and the, and then Jaws like, well, this the shark is moving really slow, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like kind of just you know going right along, but but I appreciate it for what it was because it did come out in uh, 50 years ago almost. <laughs> yeah, right, man. I mean, like, <laughs> gotta, see, you got to give it some grace. <laughs> yeah, like, wow, it's been, it's been we come. Yeah, you right, it's coming up on yeah, fifty. That was what seventy five, right? Yeah, nineteen seventy five. So nearly fifty years. It's it's wow. an old man of a movie. Wow. So um, yeah. So that's it for our favorite parts. And now we're gonna transition to the trivia. All right.
All right, we are back from the trivia. Some of the stuff that we're going to talk about in the trivia, you probably heard us mention earlier in the show. And then, um, as you know, I get my trivia from INDV. You know, INDV, they, they be joking sometimes with some of their uh, so-called facts that they got on here. <laughs> but I like using INDV. It's a one-stop shop, so so we're still using yeah. it. So uh, yeah. why don't you start us off with uh, the first piece, so, piece of trivia. So I think, like you said, we talked about this one. Um, so di- the director, Steven Spielberg, named the shark Bruce uh, after his lawyer. His attorney's name was Bruce. So. Right. So that's a way. That's a good way to go ahead and do an attorney name. As, he's a shark. So we, we knew what Bruce was all about. We knew what his attorney was all. He was a shark. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then when composer John Williams originally played the score for Steven Spielberg, Spielberg laughed and said, "That's funny, John. Really, but what did you really have in mind for the theme of Jaws?" Spielberg mm. later stated that without Williams' score, the movie would not have been half as successful according to williams it jump-started his career so wow. apparently steven spielberg did not like it at first but then it's like when he used it the way it was supposed to be used it carried that movie a movie like, yeah. you can't you can't get a movie like jaws without that theme without jaws thing without the music because yeah. most of the movie you don't see jaws or the shark so when you, hear, you hear that, that theme song yeah you hear that music then you know the shark is in the area yeah so one of the other things that I, now I found this I didn't realize and didn't know, uh, according to Spielberg. So the prop arm uh, that they used for the body, the dead body, um, it looked too fake in the scene where, you know, Chrissy's remains uh, are discovered. So instead, they buried a crew member, a female crew member in the sand with only her arm exposed. Now, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Because when, when I think about it, I was like, it looked mad. It looks <laughs> No wonder why it looks real. It was. It right, really right. was. It was somebody's arm. So right. I didn't know that. I never even thought about it. I figured that in 1970s, they, they would have perfected that by now. But still, the, the fact was like, nope, it looks fake. We're going to bury, bury a live yep. person. Yep. Hey, Joni, Joni, yeah. get in the dirt. <laughs> hey, come in. Come over here. <laughs> going to bury that's, you. You're going to breathe. Crazy. You're going to breathe through this straw while we uh, <laughs> film this scene. That's crazy. Uh, the next one, Robert Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss could not stand each other, and the two argued all the time, which resulted in some good tension between Hooper and Quint. So they really didn't like each other. So it worked. It translated to the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really did. It really did. So, uh, and we talked about this one too. Uh, when it came time to uh, shoot the infamous USS Indianapolis scene. Uh, Shaw attempted to do the monologue while he was intoxic- intoxicated, uh, as it called for men to be drinking late at night. Uh, so that whole take couldn't be used. We talked about it. Uh, so he was so remorseful, you know, talking about Shaw. Uh, he called Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg that night uh, and asked if he can have another try at it. So the next day of shooting, Shaw's electrifying performance you know, was done in one take, you know, so that, that's pretty, like I said, amazing. Like when you, you know, you done messed up because I think we all been there, man. You been out drinking and you do something stupid and you're like, man, right, right, man, how do I fix this? Like, please, like, how can I do? So just to be able to be at your lowest low and have, have the courage really and man up if you right, will, right. to call and say, Hey man, look, I apologize, whatever it is. Give me one more shot at it, and to nail it in one take, man. Kudos to him. Kudos yeah, he, to him. he brought he brought his A game to that. He scene. sure did. He sure did. And then, sure and then did. there was a part where 
like they was doing a take of some other scene and Shaw said, I wish I could quit drinking. And much to the surprise of and the horror of the crew, Richard Dreyfus simply grabbed Shaw's glass and tossed it in the ocean. Yep, yep, <laughs> yeah. Cold turkey. Right, right. Cold well, turkey. He did, he did, I don't think Shaw quit. It's just that Richard Dreyfus did they like like they didn't he did they didn't like each other. Dreyfus right, no, and Shaw didn't like each other. All. So that, that's just all. showing his disdain. <laughs> According to Carl Gottlieb, the line "You're going to need a bigger boat" was not scripted but was ad-libbed by Roy mm-hmm. Scheider. So I didn't mm-hmm. realize that that line was ad-libbed. So that's like one of the best lines in the movie. It's one of the lines that is quoted whenever people are talking about Jaws. That's the line that they quote among with any, any other quote, but that's the one that they use the most. And it happened to be an ad-lib line. So that that I found amazing. Yeah, I didn't know. See, learn something new. Right, so, right, uh, right. Uh, another one didn't know. So the author, you know, Peter Benchley, he was actually thrown off the set after objecting to the climax. You know, he was also fired for way, uh, weighing the story down with too many subplots involving, involving romance and mafia intrigue. Now, this is funny to think about because, like, dude, this is a horror film. <sighs> I don't know in what horror film you're going to be able to go ahead and intertwine some type of serious romance, and then you want to go ahead and throw the mafia intrigue into it. I... I, I, I'm glad, not to say I'm glad, but looking back on this, it's probably a good idea that they left those uh, subplots out of the movie. Right, right, right. It's, uh, and here's the thing, right? Uh, this must have been the first time he's ever written a movie script, so he doesn't, <laughs> doesn't know. <laughs> like, let me, this is something that I didn't add in the book. Let me put it in. It's like, no, right, no, we can't. Right. You're ruining the pacing of the movie. That's not how we do things in Hollywood. I guess he got yeah. too insistent, and so they had to fire him. Too much, man. You got to go. You got to go. <laughs> right, right. Now, although Spielberg uh, considered Charleston Heston for the road to Brody, both Heston and Universal Studios showing great interest. The main reason Spielberg decided against casting Heston was because of this heroic roles that his current spate of movies, specifically mm. Earthquake, which was nearing the end of filming during casting. With Heston also under consideration for the starring in the role uh, in Airport 1975 as a heroic pilot who lands a crippled plane, uh, Boeing 747, Spielberg reasoned that if Heston would have been cast... It signifies to the audience that the shark has virtually no chance <laughs> against the larger-than-life hero. Like, he def- <laughs> he defeated the Planet of the Apes. He's right? landing troubled airplanes. He's, uh, yeah. you know, he's surviving an earthquake. It's like he's a superhero. It's like, yeah. you, we know who wins in this encounter. Yeah. Uh, I want to get somebody... Who you who might not make it, right? <laughs> yeah, wait. You, we're, we're gonna we're gonna peg this down a couple of a couple of notches, and, and we're gonna get somebody that's a little more believable, right? Uh, right? Right? That that really doesn't you don't have full confidence in that he's going to be able to win, right? But you're rooting for him to win, right? Right. <laughs> the, the only I think that the only way that Spielberg probably would have hired him is that he changed the script to where. Charleston Heston's character dies, right? So that's the right, only way that that would work. It would so, probably be the only believable way it right, would work. Right, right, right. Or, or like he casts uh, Heston as Quinn. That might work. Right? Okay. <laughs> now, you know, that could have worked too. Right. That, that would have been a heck of a uh, a battle with, with, with his per- persona, if you will, at the time. Right. That would have been a heck of a thing too, man. Right, right. And this mm-hmm. is, of course, the time when, you know, you could get type typecast as a, a particular type of character or audiences might reject uh, the actor or the film yeah. if a char- if an actor was cast 
uh, in such a way that, you know, they didn't predict or, or couldn't appreciate. True. So true. All right, so so next one is, uh, so Spielberg said that uh, when he read the novel, he found himself rooting for the shark because the human characters were so unlikable. And this kind of goes, like we said, like depending on the type of cast, uh, you're looking at them, right? Like I said, Roy, you know, it, Brody was the type of guy who's like, hey, he's a lovable guy, but eh, yeah, he's a little shaky. And then, you know, you bring in like Quinn, like who's this drunken sailor who knows everything uh and then you bring in this quasi guy he's great as an ocean oceanology you know oceanographer and all these things but like, he's a little wimpy right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so you know these are characters like you're like eh, i don't know if it, but like you said earlier on the, the three pieces made a whole so yes you end up really enjoying the movie but i can see where he will come from because you, you're rooting for the shark to go ahead and just just tear them apart. Right, just right, them right. Them <laughs> and this movie is, is completely different where you care about, you actually end up caring about all three characters. Like, you, you yeah. don't want to see, even Quinn, you don't want to see no harm come to Quinn. Because yeah. it's like, he, he's he's a little too rough and he's a little crazy, but you feel like without Quinn, they're not going to accomplish this mission. True. That's what you feel like. True, and, uh, true. And that and that's why the movie works, and that's why. And of course, you care about Brody because he has his family and whatnot. So yeah, true. You, you end up caring. True. And Brody is almost a stand-in for like the, yep. the audience, because you know the, the audience yeah. feel like you're like I I don't want to fight this shark, you know? Right, right. <laughs> I don't want no parts of the shark. Right, right, right. Close the beach. Right. <laughs> so, um, Roy Sh- Roy Scheider. I I always like trip up because I want to say Snyder, but that's not yeah, his name. Right. <laughs> Roy Scheider stated in an interview that in a scene where Lee Fierro or Mrs. Kittner smacks him in the face. She was actually hitting him. Apparently, the actress oh. could not fake a slap. And so, the 17 takes were some of the most painful oh. of his acting career. Also, Lee Fierro stated in several interviews that in one of the takes, when she slapped Roy Scheider, his glasses fell off. So, yeah, she was, she she was, was laying it on him. And it had she to do 17 takes. <laughs> she was slapping the snot out of him. Right? Like, my goodness. <laughs> Now, to yeah. me, the, the slaps didn't look that hard, but I think well, it's just the accumulation and the consistency of the slaps, right? So, look, look after after two, yeah, after two, I think I'd have been done. Seventeen, <laughs> yeah, you man, th- there's a lot of that happening in uh, in Hollywood. I on uh, one of the shows I did, I think it was last week's Airplane. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a scene. You remember the scene where there uh, there's a woman who gets hysterical, and then the steward is trying to calm her down. Calm her down. And then yeah. the doctor comes and says, "You know, let me handle it." And then he hits slaps <laughs> her in the face. So what, right. So what happens in that scene? That was Leslie Nielsen. So he slaps mm-hmm. her in the face, and then and that was a fake slap. But then he slaps her again. She wasn't expecting it, and it was. And he actually slapped her for real the second time. Oh, <laughs> oh. But it, that didn't happen seventeen times. Oh, they I'm about to say, but. That particular scene was actually done in one take. And w- uh, another funny thing about that particular scene is that that was her idea to have a line of people behind uh, the doctor. So that's why there was a, a whole bunch of people in oh, line waiting to get their turn to try to calm to slap her down. They <laughs> was all going to take their turn to slap her. <laughs> right, right, that's right. Cute. That so, yeah, is cute. That, that's cute. That, that was a fun episode to talk about. Uh, so go ahead. Yeah. Um, so uh, there were actually three mechanical bruises that were made for the film. Again, didn't know this either. Uh, but they were all, they all had specialized functions. 
So one shark or one Bruce, Bruce number one, uh, he can open up on the right side. Uh, one was open on the left side and the third one was fully skinned. So each shark though, now this is crazy. Didn't know this either. Uh, the average cost for each shark was approximately $250,000. That That's my, today is probably 10 times that, but for that time, that, that, that's a huge buzz, budget for that type of, uh, you know, shark to play, I guess, if you will, the leading role yeah. uh, in the movie. <laughs> right, right, right. So that, that is a, a significant portion of the budget, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that, that took a lot of the budget, but, you know, sometimes you got to do that to make it real. But yeah. still, even with uh, how much the sharks cost, uh, I think that um, they still had it at, at a really small budget. So, uh, I don't know. I, I can't think of how $7 million in 1975 compares to today's like big budget movies but considering it's gross they apparently they did uh, they did well yeah they did well mm-hmm. <laughs> so they during well during pre-production director steven spielberg accompanied my uh accompanied by friends martin scorsese george lucas and john millis visited the effects shop where bruce the shark was being constructed lucas mm-hmm. uh stuck his head in the shark's mouth to see how it worked as, and as a joke Milius and Spielberg snuck to the controls and made the jaw clamp shut oh, wow. on Lucas's head. Unfortunately, the rather prophetically, considering the later technical difficulties in the production would suffer, the shark malfunctioned and Lucas got stuck oh. in the mouth of the shark. <laughs> what? When uh, Spielberg and Milius were finally able to free him, and that is George Lucas. The three men uh-huh. ran out of the workshop, afraid that they had done major damage to the creature. Wow, <laughs> that's wow. That is wow. Whoa, that is wow. Yeah, yeah. See, this is why. Even with a fake shark, like, why would you put your? I wouldn't even put my head. Like, <laughs> like bad things can happen when you do things like that. Right. Like, right, like right, really. Right. Well, see, I wouldn't even. I, I understand why George Lucas would put it saying a shark because he's you know he does stuff like Star Wars and stuff. So uh, this was before Star Wars came out, but I imagine that he was thinking about uh, or at least working on making that movie at that time. These are the mm-hmm. types of movies that Lucas wanted to make. So he's looking in to see how the shark works, like how the mechanics of the shark work. So I can understand that. But that you know, like yeah. Spielberg and Milius would go around and to the controls and close clamp the shark down on George Lucas. That that was kind of a that was kind of a messed up thing to do to their friend. <laughs> but see, I was gonna say no, no, it's not. Like I said, I know I'm not putting my head in no shark's right, mouth. Right, right, right. But right. I know if my friends do it, guess what I'm gonna go do? I'm gonna go see if I can shut your head in it too. I mean like, come on man. You're with your friends. This is what friends do. Like no, I'm not I'm not doing it. Right, uh-uh. right, right, right. Mm-mm. So the next one, so and I thought this was a a, a great one. Uh, looking back at it now, now reading, reading this and understanding it. So Quinn's boat, uh, is named Orca, you know, being a shark hunter by profession, Quinn knows that, you know, orcas traditionally known as killer whales are the only predators of the great white. And looking back at it, you know, again, you know, being younger, you don't really put those two together, but now kind of really understanding that and looking at it. Yeah, he did. His boat was. It was the orca. Right, right. And understanding the ocean and and the predatory state, I guess, if you will. You know, the orca is like the is the is the king of the jungle or the king of the ocean. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. and and it really goes out there, and that's the only thing that really they're known to really 
uh hunt down killer whale so like i was like that was a really good piece never never put that together until now so that that's great right yeah so the uh killer whales are are I like I've seen some videos in Killer Will, like mm-hmm. and me and uh, Zach was talking about this, you know, at the end of the movies, uh, talking about uh, like orcas and how orcas are just not just to sharks, but to basically most most sea creatures. Yeah. Like they'll they'll mess with sea creatures just to mess with them. They'll yep. like find a stingray and kind of like flip them up in the air, yep. <laughs> just to be messing yep. with them until they like yep. go unconscious, or or yep. they'll kill them and then just leave his body. They'll kill mm-hmm. people for fun, or they'll kill That's sea it. creatures for fun. It's weird That's because it. they don't really mess with people. Then they mess with everything else. So they'll see uh, sea lions, and then they'll like uh, crawl into the ice just to get out of sea lions mm-hmm. and eat them. Um, I don't know if you heard about this incident in south africa so there are two orcas they're swimming around off the coast of south south africa and they've killed like dozens of sharks oh, wow. just eating their livers and then letting the rest of their body fall to the bottom of the ocean oh wow uh, <laughs> dang so, okay just want a little snack just want right, a little liver snack right, yeah right. <laughs> and, I, and uh sharks don't mess with dolphins the porpoises either they they they're more encounters because if uh like if a shark encounters like a, a lone like infant dolphin it might try right. to attack but it's not right. gonna mess with a whole pod of dolphins like yeah, it's them, yeah. <laughs> too many yeah they because they they'll harass the shark and drown the shark yeah. so yeah that yeah too many yeah yeah, yeah they they don't want to mess with that so yeah that it's that that's all fascinating yeah very fascinating so uh like and and Zach he truly enjoyed the movie. And because this, but he had actually seen it before, but he had saw it when he was very young. But now he can watch it and get the full context of the movie. Full context. And now, yeah. now the newer generation understands why Jaws is yeah. a classic. <laughs> Definite classic. Definite classic. A must watch. Right. So, in the last bit of trivia, Jaws was supposed to be released in theaters for Christmas in 1974, but because filming ran way over the shooting schedule, it released its release was pushed back to the summer. The following year, back in 1975, summer was traditionally when the worst movies were dumped into theaters oh, wow. as Americans typically enjoyed the outdoors instead. Hmm. But the film was so good that beach goers actually flocked to see it. And the movie became the highest grossing film of all time up to that point. It wow. became the first film to gross over $100 million in theatrical rentals, which is the figure that the studio nets from the North American box office after the movie uh, theater takes its cut, roughly half of the box office grows. And thus the summer blockbuster was born. So mm-hmm. like in the beginning, I guess, right. This is saying that the theaters took half, but I actually, I thought that a the movie theater actually took more than half of the cut. Half, right. And then as the weeks progresses, then the theaters take uh, more and more. Well, yeah. actually, no, I'm, I'm getting that backwards. I think what I thought was that, the studio took like more than half. So the studio would take like 75 and the theater mm-hmm. would take 25. And then as the movie stays in theater, the theater would take more and more of the cut more more. of the movie. Right. That's what I thought, but this is saying half. So maybe apparently I got that wrong, but, um, but still, right. Uh, it was still the, the, uh, still the studio was able to clean up with, uh, yeah. with, uh, Jaws in the first yeah, week. They probably made, they probably made theirs in that first weekend. I mean, right. like I said, $7 million budget. Right, right. And this is what you putting out. I right. mean, they made it. That was a no brainer right there. They made that money. Uh, also, do you know why it's called a, a blockbuster? Why we call them now? No, I have so, no idea. I, I didn't know either until I found out that. So when people would line up at the movie theaters, you know, movie theaters were on block. So people would, this is the first time uh, that people would actually line up around the block 
And and there's, oh. there's so many people around the block that they broke the block, and they oh. referred to the movie as a blockbuster because people were lying okay. around the block. So obviously, we don't have to do that anymore. We can order our tickets True. online, or True. we can order our tickets ahead of time, or we pre-order tickets. So True. we don't really do that anymore. But back in the day, you knew a movie was successful when people were lined around the block to to watch wow. the movie. And it makes that. me think of. Did you see? Um, it was an Eddie Murphy movie based on uh, uh, Rudy and Moore. It was. It's on Netflix, I uh, think. Either Netflix or HBO. The Dolomite. The Dolomite. Story, yeah. The whatever. Dolomite, yes. I see. Right. Yeah. 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 So mm-hmm. that's how Dolomite knew that his movie was successful. Yeah, it's because there were people up. lined up around the block to see his movie. <laughs> hey. hey, man, it's a blockbuster. Okay. Yo, Dolomite was a bad dude, too, man. Right, but right. Keep it real. Rudy Ray Moore was a bad guy. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's it for the trivia. And up next, we see what the critics thought. And we're back to talk about with the critics thought of the movie, the critics gave it a 97%. Audience gave it a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. IMDb Reviews has it at 8.1 wow, out of wow. 10. That's so, yeah, so I got a mix of critics. Uh, some positive and negative reviews is actually difficult to find negative reviews. But the, re- the negative reviews I have were at least written out. Because sometimes if you get a movie that's like 90%, sometimes it'll... Like I get it from Rotten Tomatoes. So sometimes they have like a rotten tomato, but it won't have an actual written review about right. the movie. But this time I was able to find a couple and, uh, you know, they say what they say. So right. starting okay. off with Derek Malcolm from the garden, he wrote jaws is a splendidly shrewd cinematic equation, which not only gives you one or two very nasty turns when you least expect them, but possibly more important knows when to make you think another's coming without actually mm. providing it. So yeah, yeah. It ratchets up the tension, get, keeping yeah. you jumpy at all it times. Does. It really did, yeah. And then uh, Gary Jane Housington from Gay Community News Boston wrote, rivetingly obvious special effects, marginal acting by Robert Shaw, and an Academy performance by a shark, if you mm. like animal acts. And this is kind of a, a, a messed up thing to say because <laughs> <laughs> the, the acting was outstanding. So uh, I, I think that Gary is not someone who understands acting or understand how to judge acting. <laughs> agree. Agree. I agree. <laughs> and uh, it, they say there was marginal effect, special effects. This I noticed that this review was like written later on. It's written in like 2015 okay. or something like that. Okay. And it's like, and I've said this in, in other shows before, but you can't really complain about special effects of a movie that was like uh popular 20 years ago right but so you got to take it for that time right that's like, remember, right that's like complaining about uh ray harryhausen special effects like in J- jason and Ag- yeah. Argonus or something like that that, yeah. that stop motion special effects yeah. from back in the day like people don't complain about that people find that charming there are some people that prefer that stop motion special effects out of that movie to like they there's like videos of some people but like modernizing harryhausen's uh, Harry and special effects, like making it look more smoother. But people prefer to stop motion for the the uh, nostalgia of it. The right? st- I want to say that, that was the whole point of it, though. Like that, that was his niche. That was like, why do you want to change that? Why do you want to criticize that? That right. was like, that was perfect for that time. Right. It was perfect right. for that era. It was perfect for that piece. Right. Like, I mean, right, come on. Right. Right. Like if you look at, especially like nowadays, there's some movies where. If you look at it in an ultra HD television, you can see the wires or you yes. can see like some of the uh, hidden things that you're not supposed to it's see. It's cheap. 
No, it's it's, it's not. Even. I'm talking about from the older movies, right? Oh, right. So, but I'm saying like when you when you did I don't say digital, but when you bring like it, I kind of to me it cheapens the work. Right, right, you, right, you, right. You know right. what I'm saying? Like that's what it was, and that's what it did back then. We right. didn't necessarily see it, but that was part of that era. That well, you couldn't see piece. it because the resolution was lower. Was so, so right, right. right the right. resolution was lower. So like when they when they put the wire in the scene, they knew that the audience wasn't going to see it because they knew what it looked like on film. Like they they right. looked at, and then when they like filmed it. And then they were taking it back and they would look at it on film. It's like, okay, I don't see wires. So this special effects is going to work. But yeah. now if you take it and you, uh, you upgrade the video and you put it on right. HD TV and now yep. you can see the wires, but it was never meant to be seen. Right. So, nope. yep. <laughs> but yeah. sometimes it's charming because you're like, you know, okay, now, uh, because you recognize it was made. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and they had to do everything practical. They didn't have right, visual effects. Right, so right. yeah, it's, and you get to see the process, the process of making entertainment. And then yeah. you can kind of look at, look at it as like, and now it's closer uh, reminiscent of like a stage play because like in stage play, they obviously are not using special effects there. You can see the wires. There. Like if you go to see Peter Pan, <laughs> At a, in a play, you, Perfect, obviously yeah. you can see the wires because you know the right. dude's not flying. But that's right. not the point. The point is for you to be entertained. <laughs> so right. you got to ask yourself: Were you entertained by the acting, by the music, and, and by the story overall, or are you yeah. just gonna sit there and look for wires? I'm like right, right now, I I can understand you being about upset about special effects if you watch a movie and the special effects don't look right i can understand that now but don't right. go back in time and criticize something that's 40 years old or yeah. 50 years old that's and that's uh that's foul that's why, call them, that's why we call them classics that's why they call <laughs> right, them classics right, 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 yeah, right. it's classic it's beautiful and, and and the cinematography and the way that it was done it was classic God, right you gotta love it so the the next uh piece comes from uh pauline kale i hope i'm saying her name right don't know but pauline kale of the new yorker uh, she wrote, it may be the most cheerfully perverse scare movie ever made. Even while you're convulsed with laughter, you're still apprehensive because the editing rhythms are very tricky, which is true, and the shock images loom up huge. It's like they're almost right on top of you. And I think that's a very um, succinct writing uh, about this because it really is the music. Uh, the, it is a kind of a perverse, you know, the scare is perverse, how it kind of starts out with the, with the girl, Chrissy getting eaten up and the body parts. And then the music, like you had mentioned earlier, so, um, you don't see the shark, but when you hear the music, you know, this shark is somewhere. He's coming from somewhere. So it, it really has like this weight to it. Uh, and then it's a shock when, 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 when the scene actually, the suspense of it all happens. There's a shock. And it does sometimes, you know, thinking back, it's right. It does feel like it's right on top of you because you, you've kind of immersed yourself uh, in, in this whole, in the whole scene. Uh, so I think she, Pauline kind of hit it right on the head. Right, right. And in fact, Spielberg didn't even want to do the movie and unless he was able to hide the shark for most of the movie. Like for most of the movie, you don't see the shark. And then right. uh, like you only see the shark like almost three quarters and then you start to see, you like, or like halfway through, you kind of see like pieces of it, but yeah. then later on, you you got to see like the whole shark, like that near the end of the movie. But he yeah. wanted to build tension so that you didn't want so you didn't see the shark right away, and that's one thing. And then the other thing is that the shark was just uh, it it kept breaking down. <laughs> <laughs> right, we can we can only use Bruce but so many times, right? right? right you know, right, so we're right. gonna have to hold him off to the to the final climax uh, <laughs> of the movie. So I mean, that was smart though, but it, it worked. It really worked. That was a really classic. Uh, 
it's this classic, man. This the whole buildup of, of it, like you said. Um, next we have Charles Champlin from the Los Angeles Times. Uh, he wrote, "It's a coarse grained and explosive work which depends on excess force impact. Assure it's a bore, <laughs> awkwardly staged and lumpily written. Now that that's a two handed. That's like a smack you in the face and then I'm going to smack you backwards with, with my backhand. <laughs> I'm giving you a compliment, right? Because it's coarse grained is an exploitive, you know, exploitive work uh, which depend on excess, uh, which." I didn't think it was a lot of excess, but I thought it was kind of exploitive. It, but it, it exploited the, the the shark and the story in a way which I thought worked. But then when you say, I mean, yes, sure, it was a bore. Because, I mean, it was a film movie. I mean, an ocean movie. You know, so that's where you got to see the immersiveness of everything, the beauty of it and the, and the fear of it all. Uh, but to smack people backhanded, you know, like it was lumpily written and awkwardly staged. I was like, I don't know. I don't know, Charles. Man, we're not really, uh, we're not seeing eye to eye on that. Right, right. Right up. <laughs> I really wasn't seeing eye to eye on any of it. O- yeah. Only that it might be uh, exploitative. And it was because there was some compl- complaint. I mean, after the film, people were like really afraid of sharks. And then there was some excessive shark hunting. And it was uh, an inaccurate depiction of mm-hmm. sharks because uh, sharks are not actually territorial in the way that they depict in a movie. A movie. And it made yeah. people excessively, like, excessively fearful in that. Sharks, because sharks don't behave the way uh, the shark in the movie behaved. So it's ex- exploitative in that way. But um, as far right. as like, I, I didn't find any of this movie a bore. I didn't think any of it was awkward. Um, as And he talked about it was awkwardly staged. It, I feel like he doesn't know what he's talking about. So yeah. there was this one essay that I saw. And it's kind of a brilliant. It's brilliant in the way that uh, Spielberg works. So there's one scene where Brody is, gets in a boat. He's, he's, he's on like a, a bar type thing. Mm-hmm. And um, he has to go to, uh, I guess, some captain's boat or whatever to do mm-hmm. some. He's going to tell him to close the beach or whatever. And the mayor drives his car onto the boat. And the mayor has, like, a couple of guys with him. And they're all surrounding kind of Brody and talking to him about keeping the beaches open, keeping the town open, and how mm-hmm. important the, the summer is and the Fort July and all of that. And then as the scene continues, and it's basically the essay is about how Spielberg have moved the scene without moving the camera because normally in this moment you would either bring the camera uh, closer camera, to, yeah. as a close up, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. instead of the camera moving, the camera stays put the entire time. But what happens is that as the conversation gets more intimate, what happens is that some of the characters kind of like back off, and then there's just three characters: it's just uh, Brody, the mayor, Brody, and some mm-hmm. other guy, and then that final guy kind of backs off, and then they kind of turn their backs, and then as that is happening. Brody and the mayor step closer to the camera. The camera is not moving at all. It's just a, you can see the background moving because they're on the barge or, or that mm-hmm. barge contraption. But now you have a close up. Now is the, the scene is extremely intimate. Extremely it's just, intimate. Yeah. It's just Brody and the mayor and the mayor trying yeah. to convince him. And now you see how important it is, how much gravity it is. And the, and the funny thing about this particular commentary is that it played the scene without the sound because his point was that even without the sound, you can, can tell you can tell how important the two characters was. And it, with the only context being how the scene moved and how the how, characters yeah. moved closer to the camera. And that just kind of expresses the genius of how uh, uh, Spielberg yep. had, Spielberg. you know, worked the shot. So mm. to say that it was awkwardly staged, it's like, come on. No, nah, man, no. <laughs> <laughs> I I I I I I with you. I disagree. Like a lot of it, man. I think a lot of the scenes were poignant, and I, I thought they were were brilliantly staged. Right. Uh, you know, th- throughout the movie to help Stella, you know, tell that story uh, 
a lot of times, whether it be for Brody or be for Quinn or, you know, even his wife, you know, whoever it may be, I think they were brilliantly staged because looking back, each one of them had a significant part to play in the the evolution of the story and and driving the story. So I'm with you, like whatever he was looking at. Yeah, I'm, yeah, whatever, man. Right, <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever, yeah, man. Nah. <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, that's it for the trivia. I mean, uh, not the trivia, the, the critics, what the critics thought. So finally, Jaws is, as of this recording, available wherever you stream or download movies. That's it for today. Next week, we take a look at one of the most impactful events in space exploration history, dramatized in an amazing film, Apollo 13. Wow. Follow us on Twitter or TikTok at Backlick Cinema or on Facebook or Instagram at Backlick Cinema Podcast or if you're on Mastodon at Backlick Cinema at mstdn.party. Don't forget that you can contact us with any questions or comments or suggestions at fanmail at backlickcinema.com. So, Damon, do you have any additional plugs? Ooh, man. Uh, look, first of all, I want to say, so thank you for having me. You know, I, I was looking forward to this, man. Great conversation. I enjoy what you're doing. Uh, as far as myself uh, and, and two mics up, you know, season five, we're coming back April 2023. We're going to continue to, to highlight, you know, some of the the greatest that I like to think of, you know, entrepreneurs, business owners, celebrities that are out here really trying to positively impact our community through their work. Uh, and, you know, stay tuned, you know, come check us out, come hang out with us. You know, we drop episodes every Monday night, 8 p.m. Go live every second, every second weekend of the month, 8 p.m. on our YouTube channel, bringing you some new stuff on Fridays now and bringing you a business corner where I just sit down and I share some business tips and business notes and some networking information for those who are looking to uh, maybe start their journey as an entrepreneur and a, as a business owner. And I'm going to be bringing some other things, but you know, we, we just trying to stay humble, man, and stay focused and, and continue this journey. Um, and you know, that, that's it in a nutshell. So I appreciate it, man. Shoot, shoot. That, that sounds like some good stuff there. I should, I should be tuning in, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> so you can also find Dame on uh on Twitter at two mics up. Or actually anywhere on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at two mics up. Or uh on you his you, the YouTube channel Two Mics Up. And when I say two mics, it's T W M I C U P two mics yeah. up because sometimes i would type mike m-i-k-e and yeah. that's you're not going to get your yeah. show if you well, type nah. yeah. m-i-k-e it, 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 all it is is the number two t, not the number two but spell it t-w-o-m-i-c-s-u-p two mm-hmm. mics up you can find us anywhere on social media you can find us on youtube all the two mics up right and if you want to find dame if you want to follow dame specifically it's also Dame D N Y D C. So D A M E D N Y D C on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And yes, sir. I'll have all of the links in the show notes. Mr. Dame D N Y D C, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for being uh what's the word i'm looking for uh consistent and persistent <laughs> hey man that's what we're gonna do man where I, I believe in that and i, I just want to say hey look continue success to you man and everything that you're doing i think you know this right here it, it's fun yeah it's entertaining 
Um, and I really enjoy it. Uh, so continue su success to you and everything you do, man, here on, on Backlook, man. Uh, do your thing, Zoe. Continue Thanks. success. I appreciate that. One last time, if you like this show, then please help us grow. To do this, you can subscribe to the show, rate us or write a review on Spotify, Podchaser.com, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. And I know you've enjoyed our guest, Damon Cunningham. So please watch or listen to the two mics up on YouTube or wherever you get your pods. Believe me, it matters. Be safe. Share a movie from yesteryear with your family. Hug your loved ones. And if you're going to be anything, be outstanding. Yes, indeed. <laughs>